If you got a Bible, uh, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12, and uh, might as well just go ahead and vote to leave the time this way, right? Who, the older I get, the more I hate the time change, right? I don't know why. Uh, you know those commercials where it says you're becoming like your parents? That's me. I'm becoming more and more like my parents uh, every, every day, and I hope that uh, as we gather this morning to look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, I want to, as you're turning there, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, there should be one in the uh, seat po- uh, underneath the seat in front of you. And um, I thank you for praying for my mom. She's doing very, very well, and um, really excited to see her doing so well. And uh, I, you know, there's an old country song from my dad. Daddy's coming around to mama's way of thinking. That's what he's doing. He's uh, cleaning the house. He's doing the dishes. He's making the bed. Matter of fact, I see him right now. He's taking her uh, toast in there to give her some toast and coffee. Actually, my mom don't drink coffee, but anyways, uh, definitely very grateful for you guys praying for her. She's doing well, and uh, praying for my dad as well as he's been her nurse and uh, taking care of her, and uh, hopefully she'll be on recovery. She's got all good reports so far, and she gets to go to her next level of um, therapy, so we're real excited to get her back, uh, get her back on our feet and going um, in our family as well. But if you're in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we're in the middle of our series of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy uh, has been a great study so far. As you know, Deuteronomy is loaded with truth. I mean, it's loaded with uh, just bringing the depth of the understanding of the Old Testament. Um, I compared it in the first couple of weeks to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Like if you're reading the New Testament and you skip over Acts, the rest of the New Testament kind of gets a little blurry. But in, in the Old Testament as well, I didn't realize the importance of Deuteronomy and how important it is to understand this transition period um, with the nation of Israel. And Deuteronomy is basically a collection of sermons about uh, how uh, from Moses about the nation of Israel. So it's almost like going to his YouTube channel and looking up his sermon videos and he's going back and reteaching them all the things that happen uh, to the nation of Israel in the preparation of the new generation to go into the promised land. And historically in the Bible, we know we are aware the Israelites called out on God uh, from Egypt. Uh, they were under severe uh, persecution under Pharaoh. They called out on God. God says, okay, I hear your prayers. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to take you to a land, hence where we get the name promised land, and you are going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. You are going to rule and reign, and we are going to, uh, you're going to be an example to the rest of the world, uh, the city of God or the nation of God's people. And so God delivered them through a set of plagues, brought them to uh, the river, I mean, to the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea. The nation of Israel went uh, across, got into the wilderness. From the wilderness to the promised land was uh, about a 12-day journey or so. But as they were journeying, God says, okay, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to start revealing myself to you. And so he reveals himself through the Ten Commandments. And through the Ten Commandments, he, they begin to see uh, how they should relate to God and how they should relate to one another. And we talked about the Ten Commandments, how we broke them down. First four is to do with your heart before God. The last six has to do with your heart before other people or how you treat other people. And so how you are with God and how you treat other people. How to be right with God and be right with people. Because if you're not right with people, you can't be right with God, and you can't be right with God and be wrong with people. So you got to be right with God and right with people. And so uh, Moses brings us to the people. They are working their way up to the border of the Promised Land, which was the Jordan River. 
The time they got there, it was flooded. It was, uh, it was twice as big as it normally is. And they sent in the spies and 10 come back with a negative report. There's no way you can make it. There's giants in the land. There's no way you have no, you have no battle. We have no cities. There are cities that are fortified. There's no way. But God says there is a way. Because when you're God's people, it takes, God, it takes faith in God to do God's will. And that's really where most of us really shrink back in our walk with God is because God calls us to do stuff or to do His will, and it requires faith. It requires seeing God or trusting in God regardless of what you see with your eyes, regardless of your circumstances. It's calling on God knowing that you have faith in Him to do something that you're not able to do yourself. And that's what He was asking the nation of Israel. you got to trust in Me. You will not be able to do this yourself, but trust in Me. And so, instead of being filled full of faith, they were filled full of fear. And when you get filled full of fear, it paralyzes you. And they did not accomplish God's will. They went back to God and said, we can't do this. And God says, okay, you don't want to do what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to do. Then you're going to go back into the wilderness. And when you go back into the wilderness, there's going to be some consequences. The consequences are that all this generation will not see the promised land save Joshua and Caleb. Those were the two that came back with the positive reports. And he says, furthermore, Moses, you will not be the leader that leads them into the promised land. So pretty big blow to the older generation and to Moses as a leader. But God never throws us away, right? As long as God has us on this earth and He gives us breath, He has a purpose for us. And so the purpose for Moses and the purpose for the older generation or the first generation was to train and prepare the next generation to do something they couldn't do. And so Moses begins to take them through this process. And as he begins to train, as he begins to um, show the next generation of how they could do what they couldn't do. And for me, just by the way, on a side note, this really gives me some really good hope because in our lives, sometimes we feel like when we fail, God is done with us. Let me tell you, God's never done with you. As long as you are here and as long as you have breath, God can use you in, in any way He chooses. And He can use you in, in your life. He can use you in your family's life. And as long as God has you and has breath in you, you can have purpose. And by the way, this goes when you get old, all right? Now, I know as I look to my life, I think of the years that are running out and I think, well, nobody's going to want to listen to an old man one day. So God, you got to use me while I'm semi-old, all right? So as, as you think about your life though, and I was talking to somebody that was in their 90s this uh, week and she said, you know, I just don't know why God's got me here. God's got her here for a reason and a purpose, and just if you're old or you've messed up or you, uh, or you might not have done exactly what God has wanted to do in your life, as long as you are here, as long as you have breath, God can still use you. And Moses was continuing to be used by God and the older generation was being continued used by God to prepare the next generation. And what we see is Moses taking through this history. He takes him through these lessons. He retells the stories. In our family, my dad is a great storyteller, all right? And some of them sometimes seem to be true, and some of them seem to be not so true, right? And uh, my uh, kids, and one in particular, falls for all sorts of gullible stories. And so every once in a while, I'll come home and say, now, is this really true, or is this a poppy tale? I was like, all right, now, that's a, that's a poppy tale, all right? 
But what a, uh, he remembers and tells stories about things that happened in my life, my brother's life, and our family's life to, to his grandkids to tell them the story. And many times it's about God. Many times it's about how God blessed our family and how we walk through these different things. And that's what Moses is doing. He's telling them these stories. He's warning them. He's sharing them promises. He's giving them the Ten Commandments again. That's what Deuteronomy means, the second law. Uh, really, uh, more specifically, the second giving of the same law. Because God does not change. His law in the beginning was the Ten laws, ten, ten Commandments. They were the same right here in Deuteronomy. And if He would give them today, guess what? They would still be the same. Because God doesn't change in who He is and His character. And so as we see these things, uh, Moses is sharing with them. He's preparing them. And like I said, the first four have to do with our heart with God. This next six have to do with our heart with others. And as he does these, he begins to specifically work out principles and guidelines that deal with these. And today, we, we're going to study chapter 12. Tra- chapter 12 addresses the subject of worship. Now you might say, is that a ship out in the sea, Pastor? Because you said worship, all right? And uh, my kids make in front of me because I went to school in Alabama. I do say worship a little bit, all right? So uh, if when I say worship, I'm talking about the, how do you Yankees say it? Worship of God, right? Or how does it go? But worship of God, right? This, this category of bringing your heart before the Lord, all that you are, and lifting it up before the Lord and giving Him praise and glory and honor because God requires His people to be worshipers. That's what He requires. He wants us to worship Him. He wants His people to worship Him. And we, uh, at our very core, are worshipers. And when I say worship, some of you may think of a song. Some of you may think of a sermon. Some of you may think it's an easy thing. Some of you think it might not be that big a deal. But to God, it's a big deal. To God, He has specific ways He wants His worship, and He talks about worship as a big deal, and worship is a big deal because God's people bring glory to God. And through that, we express thanksgiving and praise and honor to God. And He created us to be worshipers at heart. And the problem that we see in our world today is that through the fall of man and through sin, uh, we worship but it's the object of our worship that gets tainted sometimes, right? Like, like we are worshipers at heart, but a lot of times we fail to keep God at the center of our worship and, and worshiping God the way He has called us to worship. And when we are a sinner, we begin to worship ourselves, or we begin to worship the things of the world, or we begin to worship all these other things because at our heart we are worshipers, but we still have this sinful desire and God wants to make it clear. God wants to draw the line. If you're my children, this is the way I want you to worship. This is the way that I require worship. And Moses is going to take the nation of Israel. He's going to instruct them on how God requires his worship. And this morning, as we look at these instructions, we know the Old Testament, uh, we cannot take every principle in the Old Testament and apply it directly to our lives today. Meaning, If you read in the Old Testament and there's a promise to Israel about prosperity and about all these other things, you can't take that and directly apply it to the New Testament uh, belief system today. By the way, when you hear people talking about the prosperity gospel, you notice they always reference the Old Testament a lot, right? You know why they don't reference the New Testament? Because in the New Testament, it talks about suffering. It talks about sacrifice. It talks about uh, denying yourself. That's not so well with the prosperity gospel, all right? 
So, so we can't take the principles of the Old Testament and say they automatically apply, but what we can do is take the principle of God and the people behind what God tells them to do, and we can put our New Testament glasses on, and we can apply them to our lives today. And I hope that's what we do today. As we read chapter 12, I hope we take a look at this and understand what God is telling the people, and then hopefully we can take that and apply it to our lives today and to our church today. So I want to begin by reading the first four verses. We're only going to work for the, through the first verse eight uh, verses as well today, but you, I want you to go back and read the whole chapter. Uh, but this morning, we're only going to be able to do uh, one through eight, but I want to begin with verses one through four. So Deuteronomy 12, one through four says this, these are the statutes and judgments, which you shall be careful to observe in the land, which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth, you shall utterly destroy All the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break down sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire, and you shall cut down the carved images of their God and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. The first I want to look at worship that's unacceptable to God. Worship that is unacceptable to God. Moses begins by telling the nation of Israel, God has some standards. God has some statutes. God has some rules about worship and some instructions. God doesn't leave us in the dark. He doesn't leave his people in the dark. He's going to give them some specific instructions, and he's going to set the rules. And you know, that's the way God works, right? He is God, and we are not. Okay, the nation of Israel did not rule God. God ruled the nation of Israel. And God's word was, was what was very important for them to understand. And what God said, he is the source. His instruction is what matters. So Moses tells the people, listen, this is what God has to say. And, and the question becomes in the nation of Israel and also in our life as well, is are we submitted to God's authority in our life? More specifically, are we submitted to God's word in our life? Because if we are to be who God wants us to be, we are to obey and submit to his authority. So when we talk about worship and the nation of Israel talks about worship, it's not based upon their authority or Moses' authority. It's based upon God's word and his authority. And for us as Christians, as we look at this today as well, the, the question is asking uh, that we must ask ourselves is, are we submitted to God's word? Are we submitted to the authority of God in our life? Because if we are, what we declare is we don't set the rules, God sets the rules. And these are the rules that God have, and we must submit to them, and we need to be, not only individually, but together as a church. Like we have an authority of the word of God in our church. We do not get to do worship the way that we want to do worship. We do worship the way God says to do worship because we're submitted to God's word in our church. That's where we get our principles from. That's where we get our values from. That's why we believe what we believe about the salvation of Jesus Christ. It is salvation in Christ alone by faith alone. You know why we believe that? Because that's what God's word says. I don't say it. God's word says it. And what we believe about marriage and family, we believe that because that's what God's word says. What we believe about following God's will is not what we believe. It's because of God's word and what he says. 
And so we come and we must submit to what God says about worship. And he says, first, I set the rules and I'm telling you, when you go into this land, you're going to see all sorts of crazy things. You're going to see these nations there, and these Canaanites were some, some crazy people. They, they had some weird ways of worship. And he tells them, some worship on the mountain, some worship the trees, some worship uh, with these images, the wooden images, some worship the God of fertility, some worship the, gods of, uh, the God of the storm, some worship God's female, uh, Baal's female consort, and they worship all over the place, all different kinds of way, any way that they wanted to do it, because they were doing what was right in their own eyes and worshiping how they felt like they should worship. And you know what God says about that? I want you to have nothing to do with that. Take all that you see on the mountain and the valleys throughout all of the lands that have the trees, cut them all down, burn them all because that's unacceptable to me. I don't want any part of that. I don't want anything of this world or the, the things of this world to have to do with the, with the worship of me. And if you know the Canaanite religion as well, they were very false uh, in, in their belief system. They were morally corrupt. They were socially destructive. And Moses says, destroy it all. Have nothing to do with the way that they are. It's unacceptable to me. First, as we come to worship and we look how we evaluate how we worship, are there things of the world that we do that would be unacceptable to God? Because if there are, then we need to get rid of them. We don't need to have anything to do with them. And you say, well, that's the worship that's not acceptable to God. What do you mean? Like, we, we don't have certain things that way. Moses says specifically, even to them as well, do not worship God this way. It's unacceptable. Don't mix it in. Don't try it. And what a command. And when we think about the way people worship today, we think about the way churches worship today. We think about the way denominations worship today. It should be drastically different than what the world would call worship. And I don't know why it is, but the people of God always tries to do God's worship the way that the world does the worship. You say, well, what do you mean by that? What are some ways that you might think that the people of God or the things of God that are tempting are tempted to do in their worship of God today? Let me tell you, number one is feelings, all right? Listen, feelings is not worship. When you walk out of here and say, it felt good, that's not, that's not worship. Worship is not about your feelings because feelings will go up and down. It'll, they will come and go. A God is not a feeling. When you leave worship, you shouldn't say, wow, that's a wonderful feeling. That is, that is a great feeling. It's not uh, all inclusive. Like, we are the children of God gathered together in a place, and we'll talk about this a little bit, to worship of God. Not all people should be included in the worship of God in the sense that they should, feel, they should feel like they are worshiping God because if you don't know God, you won't understand how to worship God. And to say, well, we should worship with everybody and we should, we should connect with all sorts of different kinds of religions and all sorts of different kinds of belief systems. We're all the same. We could all come together. We could all worship the great God who's in the sky, the old man upstairs, right? No, that's not, that's not what we believe. That's not who we are. It is radically different from the world. We don't worship those things. We don't worship entertainment. Like you should not be inter like worship is not entertainment. And when you come and you're entertained, that's not worship. Having large crowds or small crowds or the size of the building, that's not worship. God says, if you include anything of the world that is not of who I am, have nothing to do with it. I don't want it in my in my worship. No self-centered worship, no worldly worship. That's not what I'm talking about. Do away with it. Cut it down, burn it, have nothing to do with it. 
So not only does he tell us what's not acceptable, but he moves on and he tells us what's acceptable. In verses 5 through 7, I want to read those, and I want to go back and look, say, not only what God says there's not should be in worship, but what does God say is acceptable in worship? Verse 5, he says, But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, that you, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hands, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all that which you have put your hand, and you and your households in which the Lord your God has blessed you. And first we see the right place. Look what he says in verse 5. You shall seek the place. And he says, but he will put his name in his dwelling and you shall go there. Worship has a place. Now here in the context, he is specifically talking about a temple or a sanctuary. And we know uh, throughout the nation of Israel, God had the tabernacle, which was the mobile temple of God that would go and the the sacrifices were made and God would meet with uh, the leader and meet with the people and the presence of God would come and dwell. And then we also know in the Old Testament, the temple was built. Uh, David wanted to build the temple of God, but he was not allowed to. So his son Solomon built it. And in that temple, the presence of God would dwell and, uh, and, and they would have the sacrifices. They had the time to come together. But also in the midst of every town, the groups of believers would get together and they would have a place to go to worship God. Set aside specifically for the glory of God constructed for one purpose and one purpose only to bring glory to God and worship God and the presence of God would be in that place and and the people of God would be in that place and God's presence would fill that place and, and what a what a what a picture what a what a purpose and if we look in our new testament glasses and we look now we know that just for a moment, two ways we, we come to worship or where is a place of worship. One, the Bible teaches that we are a temple of God personally. When you receive Jesus Christ, your heart becomes indwelled by the Spirit of God. Your heart is now a temple of God. That's right. Every single person that's a believer in God has the dwelling of God in their life. And the Bible says you are a temple of God. And to understand that's an awesome and powerful truth. Because we should be privately worshiping God in our heart every single day. Like we should come before the Lord and know in our heart that there is power when we lift up God's name and He should rule our hearts and He should rule our our desires of our hearts should be filled with the presence of God on a regular basis. And, And for us as Christians, each and every day we should come to the Lord and worship in our hearts. And, and, and for us, as, as you come this morning, when was the last time you personally went before the Lord in worship? When was the last time you just got, gave God praise and let His presence fill your heart and know who God is and who you are and what He's done for us and let your heart and your life be filled with the presence of God and the worship of the Lord? We ought to do that on a regular basis. And not only that, but together not only individually in our own hearts, but together we assemble together as God's people. That as we come to church, we come to this place, and this place, as we call this the assembling together of God's people, that when God's people assemble together, His glory and His presence is in amongst His people. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praise of His people. 
And, and where else in this world can you go this week that the building or the place that you come together is solely for the purpose and the glory of God? It is not in the school. It's not going to be in the world. It's not going to be at the country club or the social club. When you come together as the church and you assemble together as the body of Christ, the Bible says that we come together and we come together for the purpose of glorifying God and worshiping the Lord. That's why we call this a public worship service. Privately, we worship in our hearts, but we come together to publicly worship God, to proclaim God and His glory alone. And we are assembled together to do that. And the Bible says, do not forsake together, 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 or the assembling of ourselves together uh, to bring God glory. And when we assemble in this place and we assemble together as God's people, we worship God in this place and it brings such a, it brings such a peace and it floods our hearts and the presence of God comes and that's what worship is. And I think about in my life, I just think about some of the things that I've been through in my life with uh, coming to a place where uh, God's people assemble together. I think of in this building, how God is beginning to put things in my heart and memories in my life that I'll never forget to see the presence of God and how God works in people's hearts. The people that I have seen saved and the people that's been baptized and the people that's come together and the worship of God and how He moves in our life together when we come together as a body of Christ. I think about sometimes... Uh, <clears throat> Courtney tells me, you know, I miss our old building, Dad. It was such a nice place. I'm thinking, yeah, well, I miss it too. But mainly what she misses is the memories of coming together, God's people. And I, I, I could tell you people that I met with and worshiped in that building that's no longer here on this earth. That I can remember the sweet memories of seeing him cry and call out on the name of God and pray together. And people coming with their hearts so heavy and all of a sudden assembling together in the presence of God, lifting burdens like you would never imagine. I think of even in my own life, even before that, when I used to go to First Baptist Jacksonville, I can remember going into the auditorium and sitting there and crying like a baby during pastor's conferences and hearing pastors preach and songs being sung and God moving in such a mighty way and people walking out, people getting saved and people being baptized. That's why it kind of hurt my heart this week to know that that building's been sold now and they're going to, they're going to blow it up and tear it down and build apartments there. And I thought, man, well, that's crazy. I just think about the place and the things of God and dedicated to the glory of the Lord, the right place. And he tells them, get together and go there. Like, don't forsake the assembling together for together as believers and you come together. Don't be out in the fields and don't be up in the mountains. Don't be down in the valleys. Go to a specific place to get together with God's people and I'll be there the right place. And then he says, not only the right place, the right way. In verse 6, he says, Therefore, take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewilled offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. I don't have time to go into all the details. It's a pretty interesting study, though. But three important elements you'll see here. One was the, uh, uh, the burnt offerings. That was all about getting their heart right with God. That was all about making an offering up to God and burn, having a burnt offering so that their hearts was pure before the Lord and their sins were washed away. As they would come to the temple, they would bring these offerings and their hearts would be washed and their sins would be forgiven. And I can't help but think when we gather together, we come to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ that's washed all our sins away. And when we come together, we ought to come with a repentant heart. We ought to come together and say, Lord, here's my heart. I know I need to be saved. And when we have salvation, even after that, 
God, I, I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't have talked that way. I shouldn't have done that way. And we come with a repentant heart to have the forgiveness of God, to know that if we call upon His name, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us and to wash us from all unrighteousness. When we come together, we ought to come together in repentance and trust and see God wash all, all our sins away and trust in Jesus Christ. When we walk away from this place, we ought to say, oh, what a name to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our hearts should be purified. Not only that, but he says he comes and he brings sacrifices. This is not in the form of excess, but this is something that cost them. This was something that was very costly to them. And they knew by making the sacrifice, it was something that was not out of excess. It was something that was very valuable to them. Let me tell you, worshiping God will cost you something. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to get up. If you're a young family that has young kids, you know it's a sacrifice to get up, to get your kids dressed, to get them ready, to get them come to church. Because let me tell you, if anything can happen and go wrong, it's going to happen on Sunday morning, right? I mean, they're, they're going to throw up or have a fever or something's going to happen. On, something will happen to keep you from coming to worship God. And it's a sacrifice, but it's worth it. It, it never says it'll be easy. It's worth it. And he was telling them, come with your sacrifices, Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice your money. Sacrifice the time it comes together because it means something when you come together to worship God. It means something when your family sees you worshiping God. It means something when you take time out of your week and your schedule to come to do something that you don't do anywhere else. It means something to come and sacrifice and to sacrifice your service. God has given us gifts and talents and He expects us to use them. It takes time to teach Sunday school. It takes time to teach on Wednesday night. It takes sacrifice to do those things. And listen, when we come, that's what we're supposed to come for. The worship of God, that's part of our sacrifice. That's part of our worship to the Lord. Every single person that watches the nursery and every single person that uh, helps uh, work around here, every single person that helps with uh, teaching children and, to, and, and discipling adults and working with men or women and all, all the things in between, it's a sacrifice. But guess what? It's part of your worship. It's why we get together. It's why we come together to worship God. It's part of our sacrifices. So we, we have come to, with a repentant heart to see God wash away our sins. We come with sacrifices and we come with tithes and offerings, like he says. He says there's a free will offering, a vowed offering, and there's a heave offering, and then the firstborn of all your herds and flocks. When we come to worship a God, we shouldn't come empty-handed. We should come with, with offerings. We should come with God giving out of uh, the good things of our life. I'll just say one thing about this. I love what it says, the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. You know what that means? We're not to give God our last. We're to give Him our first. We're to give Him our best. And unfortunately, sometimes when we come to worship, we come empty-handed. When we come to worship, we come with the things that are left over. And we say, here, God, here's my leftovers. Here's those things. When we come to worship, it shouldn't be our leftovers. It should be our first fruits. It should be that God has blessed us so much. We come with a heart that's so overflowing that we want to give God the best of what we have in our hearts. And many times, it may not just be materially. It's in our hearts and our lives. It's the best of our, it's the best of our heart. It's the best of our mind. It's the best of who we are and our talent. And saying, God, here it is. I want to give it to you. It's my offering. And it's the first. It's not the last. So many people have the leftover mentality that they say, oh, well, we tried to give it to Goodwill and they wouldn't take it. Tried to give it to our neighbors, they didn't want it. Tried to give it to our kids. So we just brought it to church and gave it to you. Listen, <laughs> God shouldn't get the leftovers. He shouldn't get the things. When we come to God, we should get our best. We ought to come to worship the Lord and dedicate our service in the right way. So the right place, the right way, and the right heart. Look at verse 7. Here's the promise, and you shall eat before the Lord your God. And I said in an earlier service, this is the one I really like, and they thought it was because I, I could eat before the Lord, but it wasn't all about eating. He says, he says, you shall eat before the Lord your God. This means 
Uh, this is a picture of communion. If you want to get to know someone, you share a meal with them, right? When you sit down to eat with someone, you're, all the walls tend to come down. If you really want to get to know somebody, you say, hey, have lunch with me or go out to dinner with me. And you begin to talk to someone, the walls come down. All of a sudden, you begin to commune with one another. You get to know one another. That's what he's saying here. When you come to worship of God, the walls come down. All of a sudden, you begin to commune with God. And the walls that you build up become tumbling down. And you begin to commune with God. You begin to communicate with God. And he says, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your household. So it's not just him, his whole family. That's why here we love it when families come to worship God. It's not just you. It should be your children, your grandchildren, your whole household. And there should be rejoicing. And as that rejoicing comes, it's because of the Lord God has blessed you. That we don't worship the blessings, we worship the God of those blessings. That He gets all the glory, all the praise, and all the worship. And as we come to the Lord and we look to our life, we ask it, do you want joy? Do you want peace with God? And as you come to worship, you can have that peace with God and peace with other people. And you can commune with the Lord and you can rejoice in your heart and you can be lifted up and you can give God all the glory and all the honor. And you ask yourself, are you missing peace in your life? Maybe you're not communing with God. Are you missing joy in your life? then you shouldn't come into church and uh, constantly in God's presence and continually not having joy in your life. Regardless of your circumstance, regardless of where you are, you can have joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is knowing that God is in control and He's got all the things in your life under control. That's what joy is. It's choosing to rejoice even regardless of where you are. And that joy comes when you commune with God, when you worship with God. I can tell you there are times when my heart is like stone and my, 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 my heart is, is in pieces. But when I come to commune with the Lord, He puts them all back together. He puts it back together again. And He fills my heart with joy and He fills my heart with peace and it floods my soul. And when I leave from the worship of God, I'm lifted up and I'm singing the praises of the Lord. That's what it's all about. That's what worship is. God says it's the right way to worship. And when you do it, that's the way it should be. When people come and see God's people worship, it shouldn't be what they see out in the world. It shouldn't be walking away from here with some crazy feeling or some crazy emotion or some crazy thing that you don't understand. No, it's coming before God as God's people and laying down your burdens and and eating before the Lord and communing with Him and letting the peace of God flood our souls and joy be filled with our hearts. And as we walk away, we're lifting up the name of God who has blessed us. And not only us, but our families and our church. And it should bring worship to God. And are you worshiping God? And are you worshiping God the right way? And as we look to our life, as Moses is challenging the nation of Israel, and he challenges us even today to ask us, who are we worshiping? Are you worshiping yourself? Some people say, well, I didn't get nothing out of worship today, Pastor. Well, I wanted to tell them, we're not worshiping you. (laughs) Listen, you're not the object of worship. I'm not the object of worship. The music's not the object of worship. It's God. And if you focus on anything else, you're going to be let down. But when you come to church and you come together together as God's people, we ought to lift up the name of God. We ought to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who has done all these things for us and worship to flow from our hearts. And as people look in the lost world at that, they say, I want that. I want that peace. I want that joy in the midst of chaotic world that we live in and the heartaches and pain we have in life. You can still have joy and you can still have peace. That's the kind of God that we serve. 
And that's the that's God we should worship. That's the God we should lift up. That's the God who deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in our life. Let's pray together this morning.